Hey, what's up, guys? This is the Hip Hop Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Matt. I have my co-host here, Resonant. Hey, it's Mr. Resonant over here. Skr, skr. And today we are going to be talking about how do you work with other people in the way that is best for everybody involved. So Resonant and I watched a video about this. It was about a 40 minute long video. It was called Fuck You, Pay Me. I don't remember the guy's name, Mike something. Yeah, yeah. All I remember is Mike and his dick jokes. (laughs) But Hip Hop Entrepreneurs is a show dedicated to people who want to be in music, in the music industry, whether you're an artist, whether you're a producer, an engineer, if you work in a studio, whatever you, if if you want to be a marketing person for someone in music, whatever you want to do. This is the show where we talk about how do you make money, how do you sustain yourself, and how do you live the life that you want to live in that realm. So without further ado, we are going to kick it off. Rez, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent, man. Um, That video really enlightened me because uh, they actually brought a lawyer on there, and that was free lawyer time. Totally going to be able to use his advice in a legal sense now. Um. Yeah, you used it in a phone call. You had a you had a uh, an artist call you yeah. right after that video, and I I heard you dropping some knowledge that you heard in the video right after. Oh well, yeah, first thing, a verbal agreement. Uh, trust me on this, that kind of shit. Red flag. Yes, red flag. According to the video, this should be the first thing that you walk away from. Um, it's just it's not enforceable. You cannot hold someone to something that they said previously unless it's written down. And I learned that so many times in the past to the point where now I don't. Yeah. If, if somebody isn't willing to sign a piece of paper that says, I agree to what I just said, I would agree to, then they're probably going to have a few other red flags going forward in the future. Like they're probably not going to want to pay you. They might have, you know, whatever it is, if they're working with a producer, Oh, I didn't really like the beat that you made for me, right? I didn't really like the mix that you did. It's like, okay, well, if you have a contract, if you have it in written terms, then everything is spelled out what happens in a situation like that. So you, you are, you were just, Rez, we're, uh, we're just working with an artist who commissioned you for a beat and pay, paid you the front end, which is good because that was something that a year ago you wouldn't have done, right? You would not. I didn't know what front end meant. Yeah. So now that's something that we do. Let's talk about that for a second, actually. Before yep. any work begins, whether there's a contract or not, and I'll, I'll be completely honest, we have not been operating, uh, in in a full contract mode, we have not been getting as many things in writing as we should have. We're getting better at that. Now right. now when we sell beats, we sell them with licenses. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows exactly what terms they're getting. So that that's a step that we've taken in the right direction. But what we do is we do a front end and a back end for custom production. So if you want something specifically made for you and not a pre-made instrumental composition, then we say, okay, it's going to be whatever it is. It's going to be $50. We're going to do $25 of that 50 up front before anything even starts. I want to see that you're actually going to pay me so that I don't just completely waste my time. Yeah. It's, it, it's happened to me, you know, tragic because I put in a lot of work and a lot of effort and stress into something. And I, I assumed that they would pay me after. And I also assumed the other thing that they would like it. But there was a lapse of, first of all, like they didn't understand how to give me the right instruction. So I went off what I assumed that they would like. And I never got paid for it because they didn't like it. And I, I don't know if they would have paid for it anyway, just because the level I was at, 
I assumed that payment was still a foreign thing to me, and it was. So I did not expect much of that. I thought it would be an insult to ask them that. But the thing is, the more confident you are about a business transaction, the more likely it'll happen. That's exactly what I was thinking as you were saying that. I was like, it's all about the presentation. It's and that that was another thing in the video too. And when we heard the guy say that, just if if you have a price, just be confident about the price, know your worth, and if they're not willing to pay it, they're not your customer. I you you felt that I'm sure when um you sold a beat for eighty dollars, the price was supposed to be ninety nine dollars, right, a hundred dollars, and we just you know didn't have that conversation beforehand to be as confident as we could have. I mean, we could have made another twenty bucks. At the end of the day, it's twenty bucks. You know, I'm not very upset about it. The artist got a nice discount. I hope I hope they are happy. Yeah, well, they didn't know they got a discount. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because I was confident that the price was actually that price that I sold it at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found out that it actually wasn't the price, but no harm, no foul. This is one of the lessons that I prefer to have where I still win. It's just that I win a little bit less. That's going to have to be another podcast that we do is just how do you negotiate a, a sale on terms? That That's going to be a really fun one, but um, off that for a second. Yeah. So you, you make this sale. I mean, same thing with me when I was doing a uh, a website sale with a new client. He asked me for a price, and I remember the first thing I wanted was I was like, I don't know how much work he's really asking for. We haven't touched on, on enough details for me to give him an accurate price. My reaction was, um, I I don't know yet, and that that was not the reaction I should have given. It should have either been, you know, well, this should run you about three hundred and fifty dollars. Then we'll see where it goes from there. If it ended up being more work, I would have just added, you know, re- renegotiated later and say like, hey, this was. The original scope of the 350, if you want more, now we're just going to have to do more money, whatever it is. Or I should have said, I don't know the price at this exact moment. I don't know exactly how much work we're talking about, but how about Because he needed to talk to another developer that he was working with. I would go talk to your guy. I'll talk to your guy. And once we have a good understanding of how much you actually need, what we need to do for you, then I can give you a better price estimate. But until that point, I don't, I'm lacking enough information to give you a correct answer. Whatever it is, but if you don't know, you have to know. You, you have to know that you don't know. You have to be confident that you just need to hold off on it. And confidence, whether you know or not, it because confidence is separate, right? Whether you know what your price is or not, if you need to figure it out later, just be confident about it. Because at the end of the day, if you're working with somebody, if you're negotiating with somebody, then you have as much say as they do in the work that gets done. Right. That, and that, that was the whole concept of the talk is when you, when you are not the client, when you are the one providing services, you still have power. You really should, you really should just feel, I, I, I'm trying to think of the way to word this. You should feel as though you have as much rights as the clients, as the client has. Right. Because in the end of the day, you're the one providing a service. But your energy, your effort is being used for that. You would want your effort to be used in the right way rather than in the wrong way and then be frustrated later about it. So if you give yourself power, it allows you to allocate your power in the most efficient ways. But also, I mean, it's just less of a headache. Um, your self-interest, like sometimes I see a lot of people lacking confidence by not thinking about their self-interest before thinking about their client's self-interest. And honestly, it's important to think about the client's self-interest. Like, why are they hitting you up? It's because 
this business deal, this sale is being made in a way that can help the client and that's why they're actually talking to you. It's a win-win, right? But if you eliminate the win from your end, immediately it goes to you're not going to want to do that anymore and you might actually burn out from whatever whatever you know you're doing in the long term which it's happened to me i'm here today i'm here today speaking as a person looking back on it but i know that if i didn't have the right talks from my ogs if i didn't have the right conversations with the clients then i would be in a situation where i would be I would be working as I would be working at somewhere else, not confident that I can make my money in a stress-free way on my own craft. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for that. So I want to talk specifics for a second because we, we were talking about this. I remember we paused the video and I said, How do you make sure that you get paid? Because you know, it's one thing if you're working with these medium to large size companies that have whole departments, whole divisions, people who are managing payroll, uh, managing financials, whatever it is, and you can talk to them directly or people who are in charge of a project and say like, Hey, you know, we had a contract. This is what, w- this is what happened. But as, as people who are working on their own, like real, real small time kind of people, whether you are a producer, if you're an engineer, you have your own studio, you have people coming in, people who, you know, have you ever had someone who comes into the studio and records and then you have the song, you have the finished product, you withhold it from them because they haven't paid yet, but they just never pay. So you never gave them the product. Has that ever happened? Honestly, I'm having trouble remembering because if it has happened, I blocked it out of my memory, which is not a good business move. Remember, make sure remember everything or uh, write it down. I don't know. Um, you can help me on that one because if that has ever happened, we've been through that process together. Do you have any recollection? Because I'm going to be quite confident in saying that I don't remember. I'm not going to name drop on this, but Washington, D.C., we did have somebody who didn't pay us for, ah, for quite yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, the thing is that at that moment, it was our awakening that we need to start looking at things more in a legal point of view. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, we actually tried to approach that situation at f- at first with the legal point of view, like with the legal lens. And um, it's it didn't turn out well because the person wasn't used to contracts and everything like that. Well, we didn't have a contract either. No, didn't we? Um, didn't we write something out? for him to sign we did but that was after the fact okay so that, oh, that's an, that's okay. another big thing have your okay. contract before you work because after you've started working you lose all your leverage you've right. already done the work right yeah yeah okay yeah i agree like this this was one of the biggest lessons that we have both learned um maybe from different angles of it because we both manage different things at the moment uh definitely you know, I won't let a situation like that repeat again, just because now I know. Fortunately, it was a headache at the moment. It's not a headache right now. And I don't think in any case, something should be a headache for that long. Uh, it's It wouldn't be sustainable by both parties, because believe it or not, a headache's a headache for the client too, if it's on your end. Um, but yeah, it's it's something I look back upon and realize that some people aren't used to the legal side of things and they're initially scared by it, but they don't understand that it's for their protection as well. And I think that's an important point to touch on how a contract isn't just for one party. A good contract is to protect both parties. 
Yeah, very true. And that's that's the whole negotiation phase. If you see something in a contract and you say like, hey, I'm not really feeling this part right here. So if you're recording a song with somebody, if uh, if you're the producer, you're the one who wrote the contract, I as an artist might say something to the effect of, hey, I don't like the ownership rights of, you said you're going to own my song after you record it. How, how, how does that work? Right? Contracts are written to have pushback on them because you're supposed to read them and negotiate them. If if it's written by one side and you sign blindly, you're going to get taken advantage of. So I, as an artist, would say, like, let's do this. Give me the owner right, the ownership rights of my song, and I will record here. You know, just, yeah, sure. You make that little edit in the contract, you sign it, you're good to go. If an artist comes to you saying, like, hey, I'm going to record five songs here. Here are my terms, blah, blah, blah. Producer says, like, you didn't give me any royalties. How about this? You give me 10% royalties, whatever, whatever it is, and I will do your five songs at the price you wanted. It's all about negotiation. But a caveat to that is in an ideal situation where the funds were not an issue, it would be one lawyer speaking to another lawyer, which is another lesson I derived from that video. Lawyers talk to each other, and it's the most efficient way of going about things because I didn't go to law school. I do not have a profession in law. I have a profession in making music, which is what I specialize in. Ideally, in situations like this, our lawyer would speak to that artist and preferably for that artist's protection, the artist's lawyer or the manager, whoever represents them in a legal sense and would sort those things out because I, I would have a hard time believing that in every single case, it's just a little quick edit and then that doesn't ruin any other clause in the contract because I know sometimes the contract isn't even written by the party that would do the editing in this case that you're speaking on. Hopefully it would be the uh, the same lawyer who wrote your contract would be the one who would be looking over it and speaking for you. But also to recognize that not everyone's going to have a lawyer on retainer. And that was something that I was thinking about too, is your clients, the people who you work with, are completely up to you. Obvious, mu- music is kind of its own beast. Obviously, we're very much so in the music production and audio engineering side of things. Right. But... Let, let's let's go to uh, the business that I own individually for a second. So, like my website development company, I can go after people who don't have anything going on in their business. I could go right where they're like just starting out. They're like, "Well, I need a website." Blah 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 blah. blah. And I'm like, "Okay, these are people who are going to have very small budgets." I could very well go after mid-sized businesses, and as long as I prevent my prevent, as long as I present myself professionally, then. I can get that kind of client, but you have to go after the kind of client that you want to work with. So you as a music producer, if you want to work with people who are working at a very low tier, who haven't put out any music, who don't know what it's like to work in a studio, who don't have the etiquette down, who don't understand how, um, the importance of everybody in the process, you're going to get a lot of headaches. A lot of headaches that I had to get at the very beginning because I was a headache in and of myself. I did not have certain boxes checked that would apply to a professional music producer, audio engineer, entrepreneur, you know, all the different hats that I wore. Now, what I do to prevent situations like that is that when I'm doing outreach, when I'm marketing myself as a producer, I make sure that I tailor my marketing towards people that have a DistroKid link in their bio or have music on Apple Music, Spotify, because 
they may still be unprofessional, but they're professional enough to put their music on all streams. And that's interesting. You have identified where that baseline is. You've worked with enough people where you can tell what the difference is between someone who has no level of professionalism versus somebody who has at least a little bit of a level of professionalism and is investing in their craft. Because if they do have those links, that means they paid to get it on those services. Right, exactly. Um, now, that being said, Distro Kids, Distro Kid, it doesn't have a free trial, does Man, it? They need to sponsor us. We talk about them. I love Distro Kid. Shout out to Distro Kid. Sponsor I would us. wear a shirt if I could. Uh, I'm wearing a shirt right now, by the way. Oh, wow. That, that, that's a really good shirt. Okay, listen, we ain't got no sponsors, bro. We need to, we need to <laughs> stop doing this. I'm an elite level no, trainer, okay? No. Uh, no, but yeah, um, back to the point. There are also certain things that are green flags that I see in the artists that I'm reaching out with in regard to the questions they ask. So first of all, the artists that ask what's the royalty split before buying a beat, it already shows me that this isn't their first rodeo. They've been down this road before. And it does clear a lot of a headache because if they don't understand it and I have to explain it to them, it might come in one ear and out the other ear. This is assuming that they're like most artists. A lot of artists are coachable and I love to work with those too because they want to learn about the industry and they see me as an authority figure so they give me the respect. Coachability is the most underrated trait in anybody trying to do anything for themselves uh, business-wise in the realm of entrepreneurship, coachability. I'm going to give a shout out. Shoddy, Shoddy2K, also goes by Shoddy Love, um, an artist that I'm still working with even though I'm in Philadelphia, but he's from Knoxville so coachable. He came in my studio, first time ever recording, albeit it was a free session because I was doing free sessions at the time. He's a high schooler. He carries himself like he's ready to be a business professional and he just needs the right guidance. Everything I told him from creating a distro kit to certain ways of recording, he did. The guy who was over the other night? No, 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 no. Back in Knoxville. Shoddy. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoddy. Um, like, I, that's the ideal client because I know that um, if uh, if there's ever money on a table, he will understand why I charge money. Now, that being said, I honor, I grandfather people in, right? So, you know, I wouldn't charge people an arm and a leg if I've been charging them dirt cheap. And that's just, just, because, just an arm. Yeah, just an arm. <laughs> a hand, maybe. I don't know. Because I'm a man of my word and the word's the only thing I got in this world. So when people start me seeing me breach their word, they're going to start assuming that I breach other words that I give. And I would hope that every single word I speak on this podcast is taken with that level of respect. And I will uphold that to the max. But I digress. Um, coachability is super important, but they're very rare. So I tend to default to the people who I already have signs that are professional, that are making those steps. If they have a manager, even better. I'd love to talk to a manager because they'll be prepared with those questions that are in the best interest of the artist if they're good about it. Okay. So, uh, again, I, I'm cautious about when we name drop because I always want to name drop when we're talking good things. When we're talking about a situation, I'm not going to name drop here. Right. But the guy from Cali who we were just talking to who directed us to his manager. So, let, let's talk about that situation for a little bit because we found him. He was very very bullish at first. He was very, you know, we hit him up. Let's explain what a bull is first. A bull is somebody who is very straightforward about what they want and how they want it. So if we're talking about beats, we message somebody, we say, hey man, 
I uh, loved what you did in this song. Gives me this kind of vibe. Wondering how long you've been in music for. And they say, what are your prices for beats? That's a bull. Someone who just wants to skip all the small talk, skip all the relationship building, saying like, let's do business, let's do it now. And I think the underlying thing behind that is they have clear intentions and they're trying to see what your your intentions are up front. And if you don't give them those intentions, then they usually walk away at that point because they feel like you're hiding something. It's really quick and to the point um, in a sales world. They could be the best customer. They could also be the least difficult customer, but they're very hard to obtain if you don't have a level of professionalism. Did you play Pokemon when you were younger? I watched Pokemon. Oh, dang. Okay, so in, in Pokemon, there's uh, like the Game Boy games, throwing it way back. There would be these legendary Pokemon, and you would find them, and then you would get one turn to capture them, or they would or they would run away. That That's kind of what a bull is. Oh, yeah. Okay, th- are you talking about the card game or the no, video no, like game? The oh, yeah, game I did. Boy, I know exactly yeah, what you're game talking Boy about. Advance. Bro, I, I've been, I've had too many frustrations. I don't want to remember. Um, there's some legendary Pokemon on the line. Yeah. I did not get them because I wasn't ready. I did not have that Master Ball. It's oh, Master Ball, right? Bro. Very sad. Uh, only, only use your Master Ball on Mewtwo. If you use it on any other Pokemon, you are wasting your time. Well, better over-prepare than under-prepare. That's all I'm going to say. So when you're trying to figure out what kind of clients you should be working with or what are the traits you should be working with, sometimes it is just the experience in working with so many people that you figure out what you should be looking for and what you should be actively trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is just doing your research. Maybe you know somebody who do, who does what you're doing who can tell you what you should and shouldn't be looking for. The other thing, too, is that you might just have to learn it yourself. You know, because you might be working at such an amateur level that you can't work with people who are much more professional than you. You know, like if we, uh, I, I remember you putting this into words like this. If Drake were to want to work with you a year ago, you would not have had that. I mean, not that we have the setup to work with Drake now, obviously, who would work in a much uh, higher, higher grade studio than we can provide at this exact moment. But, if someone like Trippy Red, if mm. Trippy Red had come to work with you a year ago, you would not have been in a position to record him because you didn't have this setup. You didn't know enough skills. You didn't have enough time put in to make him a happy customer. Yeah, that yeah, depending we, on his standards at that time. That's true. You could have worked with him, just not well. I, I mean, also look like shoot by Black Boy JB. That wasn't exactly the most uh, masterfully engineered project at that point. I'm not a dance engineer. I wouldn't be able to help Trippy Red with creating a dance, just like what blew up shoot. Um, because I argue it was just a dance, mm-hmm. just a dance, and on video, like the energy of Blockboy JB, but not the music. Uh, I, I I will say I know you're getting to a point, but just as a disclaimer, um, I definitely would have had the ability to make beats for him because those beats could turn into track outs, and it's really my composition at that point. Who are we just listening to? Who um who made a beat and? It was it was sent over to the record label. The artist used it, and the beat sounded way better in the in the actual song. Was it a White Sosa song? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I don't know. I think it was White. So- who who is White Sosa's producer? Well, I mean, he has many. There's one who we know though. Oh, Midas. Midas, yeah, yeah. Midas on the beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember talking about this because we were listening to it. I it was a Duke Deuce type beat that we were listening to by right. him. And I was like, geez, this is, uh, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to talk trash, but yeah. I, it was, it was not pleasing to the ears. Mm-hmm. And then we heard, 
something else by that same producer on a White Sosa song, and it sounded way better. And you explained this to me as they sent the track outs, and then the record label or the producer, engineer, whoever Mm -hmm. White Sosa was working with, was able to mix it in such a way that the instruments, the notes, were all the same, but just mixed way better. Right, yeah, it's... Um, as a producer, I send out track outs that aren't mixed by me. Um, but I also send out beats that are mixed by me. Now my mixing has gone better, but there could always be better. So I wouldn't be surprised if I send, if, you know, somebody gets a track out for me just to get a mix a little bit better and it ends up being a beat I can't recognize just because it's at that high of a quality level. Um, and it's already happened. Uh, I, uh, the song that I'm dropping with shoddy shout out, um, my uh, an engineer I work with, Option A, over in New York, he uh, he re-engineered the beat to the point where I could hear stuff that I couldn't even hear when I mixed it. So it was definitely a humbling experience. But you know, when the beauty of the trackouts is it allows transference to people of higher professional levels, um, higher levels of professionalism, um, just in the fact that they have control over making it their quality standard. The main thing certain artists listen for is. Is this would this sound excellent if this was engineered perfectly? So you know that's a it's a it's a realization I've had recently. It's pretty it's pretty interesting to think about that. And that's something if you're an artist and you're having that consideration going through your head, you need to be you need to have a kick-ass engineer or producer on your team who can make it sound perfectly engineered like you have it in your head. Because if you're thinking about it a certain way, you know somebody needs to execute on that. There's a big difference between a visionary and an executive. I'm going to elaborate on that actually, because, uh, I recently, my friend recently told me that the key to professional success in the music industry, it's not as much having a very, very good producer, not as much having a very good flow and that kind of stuff. It's having a very good engineer because the artist, the rapper comes to the engineer, the producer comes to the engineer. Metro Boomin probably didn't mix half his beats. He got his beats mixed by an engineer who also mixed the vocals on top of them. So that's the uniting force, the engineer, the unsung hero that doesn't usually put their tag into work that makes things happen. And um, I really do think that audio engineers should be more valued because of the value that they provide to the music industry. Which is interesting because the rappers are obviously at the front of the uh, of the public eye. And then the producers are starting to get more recognition. Yeah. Audio engineers are nowhere in that area, not even on the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, in certain cases, they are. Um, there are very, very good industry producers. Um, like I think it's Dave Pensado who makes all the presets on my Waves presets. Are you talking about engineers or producers? Engineers, right engineers. Okay, okay. There's this guy, KY Engineering, who engineered for Made in Tokyo and K-Swish's songs that actually blew Made in Tokyo up. Um, he shouted him out. and Made in Tokyo shouted KY Engineering in his songs because he understood the value. And also uh, KY put a tag on there and nobody argued to it because it was just more branding. It seemed like it was a good idea. So I, I think inherently the engineer will always be in the background unless they have a certain style that's unrecognizable by anybody else. But yeah, you're you're gonna say something. I, I'm just trying to figure it out. How do you bring yourself more to the forefront as an engineer? Because the producers have audio tags, right? And th- yep. that is that is still a little invasive, but it's becoming more and more accepted. Right. Are you going to have a second audio tag on there as an engineer? Like, oh yeah, uh, whoever it is, like res engineered. Don't press that button. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Like you can have two. 
it's I think there's got to be something more innovative. Um, so I've seen many things. There have been tags that are in text, like on a SoundCloud release that it's been engineered by a certain person. So engineered by blah, 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 blah. Um, I know this, this, uh, engineer out of, uh, Mississippi called JP tracks. I know he does that, uh, in regard to them having tags. I agree. It can be overwhelmed. And I think the producer would take priority in having their tag over the engineer. Yeah. That's just the culture. Producers have already dominated that sphere. Right. It, it, it's, I think it's inherently hard as an audio engineer, but the necessity of an audio engineer is a lot more than a producer because, you know, a producer could just send, send you 10 beats. You choose from them. Some don't even demand payment for those, right? They want to do that stuff for free. Now, in my case, I do free stuff, but it's the low quality stuff. Yeah, uh-huh. and that's how you build a brand because if you just give away all your stuff for free, then you're undervaluing yourself and then everybody else is going to undervalue you. And that ca- because this whole this whole episode is dedicated to how do you find the right people to work with? Mm-hmm. And if you are undervaluing yourself, I promise you that you're going to continue to be to work with the wrong people, people who are going to undervalue you because you undervalue you. Right? And uh it's funny. It's like chain of undervaluement because the person who undervalues themselves might undervalue other people just because they're projecting those insecurities onto other people. It's so funny how it works. It, yeah. And then you're going to attract other people who undervalue themselves. And then it's just going to become this giant circle of insecurity. You know, there is something. Flock of sheep. Yeah. There's going to be something, uh, something to be said for people who can band together and figure it out and make money elsewhere. But if, if you're providing services for people and they're not willing to pay you, that is just, that's as big, if not bigger of a red flag, then you can trust me. The maybe is the worst thing to hear as a producer. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll think about, I'll think about it. I'm going to let you know, maybe, you know, that kind of stuff. I'd rather have a straight no. No. I mean, yes would be awesome, right? <laughs> but I'd rather have a straight no. So I don't have to dedicate my time and energy to seeing if they're still going to buy. Now, as of this point, the word maybe, it means I'm not going to work with you. I just assume that. And if they come to me later, what a pleasant surprise. They came out of nowhere. They came out of the dead. And it's happened before, but one time. One time out of a million times, bro. It's crazy. Like, I used to do door-to-door sales. I got so many people's numbers. I gave people so many pe- so many so my numbers so many times. And there's only one case out of, I would say, from 800 to 1,000 doors in total that they have called me back and they said, yes, I want to get what you were selling. It's not worth it from a uh, probability perspective, but I'll say if you're in your team, you understand that people are undervaluing you and they're undervaluing themselves. The best thing is to move out because imagine this is a crab, a crab in a bucket type stuff. You are a crab in the bucket. The moment you try to reach out, People will try to give you a reason to stay and those crabs will hold onto your legs. It's better to lose a leg than to stay in a place where everybody's fighting each other for minimal prize. Be the crab that, that makes it out of the bucket, man. That's true. So some key points from today is just hold, hold, you know, value yourself. Make sure that you are telling people what you are worth. It, I mean, and also recognize if you haven't done anything, if you haven't proven yourself, do some free work. You know, prove yourself first and right. then 
you start upping your prices from there. But don't undervalue yourself. Don't put yourself in situations where you can tell people are taking advantage of you. Put things in writing because when you have things in contracts that people can agree to, then you're gonna you're going to protect yourself. Uh, I remember something I was gonna say earlier. I was talking about specific applications. So uh, we were talking about front end, back end. If somebody's going to hire you, make sure you collect money up front before you do any work just to protect yourself just in case. Here's the other thing. So I use a tool called Stripe. It's like PayPal. It's another uh, payment processor. Dang, we need to get sponsors, bro. Stripe needs to be sponsoring me for this. That's not a bad idea. It's really That's not. really not. So uh, what you can do is you send an invoice to somebody from Stripe, and then you create their uh, customer profile from there. When they pay the invoice, their card is saved on file. And when you have a contract saying regardless of the outcome or at this point or if this happens, you owe me X amount of money, whatever it is, it doesn't matter if they agree to pay it or not because they agreed before the project started. So if they're not happy with it, oh, well, it was in the contract, right? Or if they're like, oh, we canceled the project. Or, fuck you, pay me. Fuck you, pay me, yeah. <laughs> if Whatever the situation is, if they're like, oh, well, we uh, we didn't really like – it's not really it's not really what we were looking for. doesn't matter. Because you have their card on file, you have them agreeing that you can charge them for X amount of money if this happens. So it doesn't really matter if if they're like, well, we don't like it, we don't want to pay you. It's like, cool, you agreed to, and I have the ability to charge you. So check the contract, bring me yeah. to court, and you'll just you'll just lose. Yeah, get people to agree to things in advance. Make sure you have a fail safe system, and. Look for red flags. Know what the red flags are. Work with enough people that you can identify red flags from the start because something that Rez and I do is when we meet new people, I, I always say, well, this is something that either looks really good to me, I actually really trust them, or I don't know, man, I feel like he's really overhyping what he's trying to, uh, what he's trying to do here. And it's a huge red flag to me because he's proven nothing, but he talks a huge game. So let me ask you this question because I know we're wrapping up, but I think this would be a good final point to make. We sometimes, you're very right, we sometimes have minor disagreements about which are more important, the red flags or the green flags. Because everybody has red flags and green flags. Yeah, you have to weigh them. What? How do you usually default to give any given green flag versus any given red flag in the same person? Which do you pay more attention to? It depends. I try to approach the red flags. So if somebody is coming to me and they're saying like, so this is what we're going to do. This is going to be the best thing in the world. We're going to blow up. And I, I used to do this to you all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would say like, bro, this is the best thing I've ever made. This is the best song. Everybody's going to love this. Everybody's going to be uh, listening to this. Check my bank account. <laughs> Recently, it didn't happen. <laughs> I would always be the person who would be grounding you saying, uh, you know, okay, cool. It might, you know, that'd be awesome if that happened. I'm expecting zero people to listen to this, five people, 10 people, 15 people to listen to this, whatever it is. And I'm expecting nothing to come out of this. But 99 projects later, I'm expecting to see something closer to what you're talking about. If we can keep it at an increasing quality, at an increasing pace. So I'll address the red flags. If you're overhyping, I'll ground you. If you are making promises that I know you can't deliver on, I... I will grill you. Mm-hmm. I will say, how do you see this happening? You know, give me specifics. What are the actions you're going to take? Who else is involved with this? Have you considered uh, parts X, Y, and Z? You know, are we going to need to get this person involved? Whatever it is. And if you don't have those answers, you bet I'm not working with you. Especially if you get defensive. If you get defensive, like, man, how do you expect me to know that? You know, it's like, well, you're claiming you're going to get the results. 
I assume you've thought this through. Do you know how to get results? Yeah, exactly. Do you think results just fall into your laps? It's a, it's a visionary and an executive, somebody who sees it and somebody who does it. There are people who are both. But if you're just talking to a visionary and doesn't understand what an executive is or what an executive does, I'm not working with that visionary. Precisely. Precisely. And just for our audience to know, I take more of the role of the visionary. Yeah, I'm more of the executive. But we also uh, cross over. You are also an executive and I'm also... I'm, In I'm, certain times. I'm going to say you're more of an executive than I am a visionary. Yeah, exactly. I would say, well, I am a Gemini, right? So I embody two characteristics at once. Um, but I, I think the biggest value that this episode or one of the biggest points that this episode will give to our audience is the fact that we sit here as opposing forces sometimes, but all going to the same goal. And we have decided ever since our first conversations, Matt and I, to make sure that we listen to each other's point of view as hard as it may be to understand, are we being unrealistic? Are we being realistic? And what that actually does for us, the result is it gets us to places that we wouldn't be by just our own thoughts alone, because Matt might not execute on certain stuff if I don't look at the bright side of them, but I may execute on too many things if Matt doesn't bring me down from that high pedestal. Um, I feel like you make me seem so pessimistic sometimes. Yeah, you're, Bro, I'm I'm the biggest optimist in the world. Your glass isn't even, doesn't even have water in it, bro. Mm-hmm. So what what was that? There, there was the one action more... item from this though would be find finding someone who really grounds you out if you're ungrounded. Find someone who does the opposite if you're. And you and I have had some hard conversations before. Yeah, like where I came from. You know what I mean? Like where did I? How was I born? Like that kind of stuff. It was a very hard conversation. I don't even know what you're talking about right now. I, the, the conversation that comes to my mind was the one when we were talking about. How do we, how do we make these beat videos happen every single day? It's because I was having such a hard time making the videos every day because it was such a pain in the ass for me. Why was it a pain in the ass? Because I didn't enjoy the process and you were very, very strict on how the process had to go. I'm like, listen, I'm the one doing it. Mm -hmm. I need some control here. So I, I went to you and I said like, Hey, I really, I really hate how we're doing this. This is what would make it easier for me, which would make it easier for me to make a million of these instead of just, uh, 300 or whatever we were going to end up doing. Mm. And having that kind of, you got pissed. You got so pissed in that conversation. I had to take a breather, bro. (laughs) Yeah. You, at some point you had actually said, you know what? Fuck you. I'm not going to, like, I, I'm not going to let you touch my art anymore. I am going to do this myself. And I remember I had, to, th- this is where I might call you like, um, uh, or, or, or what would I say? I was working off ego at that point, bro. For real. Like, I don't think that would have helped me. I wouldn't be where I am now if I made that decision and I committed to it. Yeah. And I that, don't think I would have committed to it. That was the point I made too. I was like, I think you're going to very heavily regret this if you stick with this. I think you need to re um, reposition yourself because now you're going from a two man show to a one man show, at least in this specific sphere of our business, and that's just not good for anybody because a boss does not take on more responsibility. A boss delegates, but also delegates in ways where the person can see their own self interest in it as well. And you weren't seeing your self interest as much as I was seeing my self interest. It wasn't a fifty fifty thing. Now I would hope it's as close to 50-50 as possible because you get to do something you love, which is design art on your phone, some abstract art, which is what you were doing before we even met. 
where you actually built an Instagram from. You want to plug that in real quick, the art page? Uh, sure. So my art, well, I mean, I don't, I don't really use it, but yeah, um, just plug it in, bro. <laughs> uh, so my company is called Forward Vibe. Uh, I have an art page I run. It's called at Forward Graphics. It's on Instagram. I'm not super active on there. I'll be completely honest. But if you need art, you can see examples of what I do on there. So. I, th- this is the end of the show right here. We're, g- we're going to wrap up. We're doing uh, we're doing social plugs anyway. Rez, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at R-E-Z-O-N-E-N-T, Resonant. And you can find me on Instagram at Matt, M-A-T-T dot M dot Young, Y-O-U-N-G. This has been Hip Hop Entrepreneurs. I hope you guys got a little bit of value out of this, figured out the kinds of people you should be working with, Look, identified some of the traits that you do and don't want around you. Rez, any thoughts? Yeah, we're not sponsored by Stripe. Or, uh, who, who Distro do you? Kid. Yeah, or Distro Kid. <laughs> but please, if you know anybody who works there, we could use an upgrade to our equipment. Please sponsor us. That would be awesome. All right, guys, we're signing off. Peace out. <laughs>